almost did not do one this week. That is the truth. And my reason is simple. I had nothing to talk about. Believe it or not, just nothing noteworthy or significant to talk about. Has not happened in a while. But this morning on my baby dog combination walk, not just a dog walk, not just a baby walk, three heartbeats, one ergo, one leash, one dream. Always nice to start a podcast bragging about my walking abilities in the morning, but yeah, take notes. I get out there, welcome the world, go to an apple tree, pluck a few. That's not a joke either. This neighborhood is so nice, you could just pluck some fruit on your walk. It's like a Disney beginning to the day. Some good trees in this neighborhood. Pluck a pear, pluck a lime, pluck a kumquat, pluck an apple. Little fruit salad medley as you walk through the neighborhood. And I noticed a few things and I said, you know something, here we go, episode 29. I got some shit to talk about now. First and foremost, I just walked by a place called Pressed Juicery. Gourmet juice. What are we doing? What are we doing with juice? Juice is not exciting. We've all heard of fresh squeezed juice. We've had it. It's pretty good. If you were to give me any juice, as is versus fresh squeezed, it wouldn't be that dramatic of a difference for my taste buds. Give me a glass of Tropicana orange juice versus you squeezed it this morning out of a real orange. Okay, they're both juices. Fresh squeezed is a little better. Fresh squeezed apple juice, fresh squeezed carrot juice. I understand it's a craze. You can get it in grocery stores or at farmer's markets, but am I wrong to notice that there's too many juice places now? Juice! And I looked at the menu this morning. I actually paused to look at the menu. One juice, five bucks. And then it said, become a member, four juices for 20. That's not even a deal. That's really just buying four juices. I did the math for 20. And what am I a member of? This juice club? You don't want to tell your grown friends, your adult friends that you're in a juice club. This is kid stuff, folks. It's not just the one by my house. I've seen Planet Juice in San Rafael. Juice Lounge in San Anselmo. Okay, I made that one up. But you could imagine there's probably a place called Juice Lounge somewhere. Jamba Juice doesn't count. That's different. Jamba Juice is basically smoothies. Sugary smoothies with a bunch of enthusiastic young people working hard to get you your drink. And you know something? I will go with a shot of wheatgrass on the side. Pull up a stool. Hey, bartender, let me tell you about my thoughts. As you whip up a double. I'll go a double wheatgrass neat slice of orange on the side. Let's play. It's good for my fingernails, it's good for my skin, it's good for my mind. It is a revitalizing little shot. If you've never done some wheatgrass action at Jamba Juice, do it. See, that's something I could get down with. Wheatgrass is unique, but juice places, juiceries, I don't like this craze. I don't like it at all. And then I kept walking, and I kept walking throughout this complex, and guess what I saw? Gourmet donuts coming soon. I don't need it. These donut boutiques? No thanks. Bacon maple truffle topped with sesame and a raspberry reduction demi-glaze. $7 donut. What are we doing? Why are we doing upscale versions of things that don't need it? You want juice? Drink some juice from the grocery store. We don't need a juicery. You want a donut? Go to Safeway. It's a dime or a nickel. How much is a donut at Safeway? But we have a new gourmet donut boutique opening up. And apparently I'm in the neighborhood where there's a demand for that. Ridiculous. Give me a good old-fashioned bake sale. 
When you're going to eat a donut, health is not on your mind. You're not thinking, I need the most nutrition when I gobble up this donut. How many calories do you think an apple fritter has? Don't even Google it. Just take a guess. 500? 50 calories a bite? You ever seen an apple fritter? Is that heaven? Maybe the most heavenly thing ever created is the apple fritter. And in my life, I've felt so guilty every time. I've only had about three, maybe four. My next apple fritter, at least two years from now. Everyone has that one thing that they eat once in a while, and it's good, but you can't get over the guilt. It's good, but you you can't get over the guilt, so it's not an enjoyable experience. And immediately afterwards, you're sweating and you feel heavy. You need a shower. You need to buy a diary and write in it. Dear diary, today the fritter got the best of me. But an apple fritter at this new Johnny Donuts Gourmet Boutique, it wouldn't just be an apple fritter. Oh, no, 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 no. It would probably be topped with a cauliflower mash on a bed of arugula dipped in a soy-free, non-GMO, organic glaze of the finest sugarcane shipped out of Peru. Twelve bucks. People eating donuts with a fork and a knife. I could see it now. We don't need it. Upscale versions of things we do not need. Like Mexican food. Have you ever attempted upscale Mexican food? Like a fancy restaurant that's really just serving enchiladas, burritos, tacos? And halfway through the meal, you wonder, why am I not just at the corner taqueria? Why am I not at Roberto's or San Jose Taqueria or Sonoma Taco Shop or Albert Tacos on the corner of El Cajon Boulevard and I want to say Montezuma? Have you been there? Oh, do I miss San Diego sometimes. When we start having the burrito conversation, that's when I miss San Diego. And I know, I know, I know. They say the modern day burrito was invented right here in the Bay Area over there on Mission in San Francisco. But the best burritos, probably a little closer to the border. The California burritos with the fries right in it. Come on. The Baja Surf burritos with the shrimp or even lobster in it. Come on. What are we doing this morning? It's too early for this. Oh, yeah, but I kept walking. So I saw the juicery. I saw the upscale donut place. And I thought to myself, don't need it. Don't need it. It's always a shame when you live so close to a complex and you really don't need any of it. There's also a shoe repair place, and it's owned by my friends, the Kupelian family. You know them, the Kupelians. And the father has owned that store for years and years and years, and I support him, and I wish him the best. But who is repairing their shoes? Who's fixing their shoes? If my shoe broke today, it's in the fucking garbage. You think I'm walking to that shoe repair store? And saying, hey, Harry Kupelian, my good friend, who I do love, I need you to fix the soul. And he'll say, okay, sure. That'll take about three months. Until then, I'll be in my Tevas, walking around the parking lot, waiting on shoes. That is a previous generation, I believe, that will go to a shoe repair store, have the cobbler work on it. I just picture Harry in the back with like a welding mask. It's a skill, I guess, to fix a shoe. But that's also in the complex. I don't need it. Although I'd like to see that business remain there and thrive. Because I love my Coupelians. And then I kept wandering through. I kept wandering through with my 84-year-old beagle. That's dog math. And my 8.5-month-old daughter. If you Google milestones of an 8.5-month-old daughter, you'll find that they like to rip the monitor camera out of the wall and chew on it. Just start chewing on any cord, any wire. You could buy a thousand toys. She's going for the wires. She's going to chew on cords. 
That, folks, is more dog than my actual dog. My actual dog, he just acts like a old Jewish elderly man in Miami Beach, just chilling under the sun, just getting more gray, getting more wrinkled, getting more blind, getting more deaf. Arthritis kicking in hard lately. Got a vet appointment later. Don't worry, I'll keep you posted. But my daughter, for some reason, she has puppy qualities also. If she's next to a shoe, she'll start gnawing on the shoelaces. I'm pretty sure she's full human. We didn't exactly get a DNA test, but I'm pretty sure she's full human. She will gnaw and chew on anything. I guess this doesn't make us unique. I guess most parents know. Yeah, that's when they chew on things. Remote controls, cell phones, even your carpet. You gotta really baby proof. So we kept walking and we kept walking and we walked. And then we were on the outside of a gym and you look in and you just see people working out. And here is when I wonder to myself, what's the history of all this? You know, it's like a human aquarium. You look into people working out. And if I'm on the inside, I don't have this thought. I am a gym goer myself. I like the gym. I've always liked the gym. When you're on the inside, it feels normal. But have you ever walked by a gym? Looked into a gym, a weight room? I saw a guy today with a weight tied around his waist as he was doing dips, just sweating and screaming. And it was considered normal in that room because it is normal. But the history of weightlifting, and I understand Having muscles helps you lift things. If you want to trace it back and really learn the history, hey, we can Google that, of course. But just think to yourself, when did this begin? The weight room, where we just have heavy things. Barbells, dumbbells, free weights, machines, contraptions, a bunch of heavy stuff, because we are trying to tone and look differently. This is also connected to the history of beauty, what we deem to be beauty, how we want our bodies to look, way beyond function. Okay, if I want muscles, it's not because, well, you know, one day I'll be lifting a couch when we move. No, it has everything to do with vanity. We're all born with our bodies, right? We're all born with our bodies. We can't change our height. You can change a lot of things. This is not a discussion about plastic surgery, though. You can go to the gym and say, I want bigger biceps, bigger triceps. I want more definition in my back, my thighs, my calves. I want abs. And this is the goal. But what do you trace it back to? Do we innately look in the mirror and say that muscle should be bigger? That muscle should be well-defined. This trap should look a certain way. This forearm needs to look more like Popeye. Are we just copying what we've seen? Who actually set the tone for what a good body looks like? And we go into the gym and we do some animal-like stuff, lift heavy things, you know, three sets of 12. And when you're on the inside of the gym, that's a normal thing to do. But when you're on the outside, just watching people work out, it's so weird. Some guy just throwing a big medicine ball at his buddy as he rolls on the ground and writhes in pain, but the good kind of pain. And then they high five as they listen to Metallica. This is not an indictment on the gym. Actually, just thinking about it makes me want to go right now. Pump. Pump a little iron. Have you seen the Schwarzenegger documentary? Pumping iron. It's amazing. In many ways. But I do wonder about the history of a lot of things. And now I'm wondering about the history of the ideal body. Where did that come from? Like if I looked at somebody out of shape and I looked at somebody in shape and I go, yep, that person is more attractive to me than the person who's out of shape. Is that just a part of my genetic makeup to say I like it when people are toned? My eyes like to see somebody who's in shape versus no, my eyes are not attracted to that person. It's kind of weird. 
The amount of things we do to our bodies and our face and our hair, our grooming, our toning, it's so wild to think about what we put ourselves through. We pluck this, we dye this, spanks for men and women, we suck in, we stand on our tippy toes in certain pictures, we get braces for our teeth, we wax this, we wax that, and we fear anything falling apart as we get older, don't we? That's what aging really is. Aging is watching hair grow in areas where you're like, oh, didn't want hair to grow there. Aging is noticing that a certain body part is just worn down. Your knees, your ankles, your shoulders. And then trying to find the antidote. And then Googling how to fix this. It's usually just drink more water and stretch. Which sounds like a joke, but it's true. If you just drink more water and stretch every day, it'll probably solve a lot of your issues. This is the most unresearched, unscientific response to how to have a healthy body ever, huh? Yeah, more water and stretch. There you go. Do some sit-ups right on the carpet as you dream about gourmet donuts. All right, I should not do a long one right now. So a couple more realizations. And then farewell, Summer. Goodbye, Summer. You went by in the blink of an eye. Truly, quick Summer. I mean, I guess that's what happens as we get older, just time passes. But come on, are you kidding me? Felt like summer just began. And now I say farewell and hello to a new school year ahead. With all the confidence in the world to make it a good one. Let's make it the best one yet. I feel like that's a jingle of a commercial from the 80s that has just stayed in my head. What is that? The best one yet. Mervyn's? I don't know. Oh yeah, Travel. Not for me. I wish it was. And I'm not just talking about international travel, but I recently did travel. I went out to Denver, and it's such a schlep. This is just a two and a half hour flight, yes, with a baby, but that's not where the exhaustion comes from. The entire process from the moment I wake up and go on a trip to the moment I come home If I was to weigh the pros and cons, my list of cons is so much longer. I'm just not wired to travel. Some people are. I've had friends who travel for work. They don't complain. They know how to get around security quickly. They're comfortable in an airport, using airport bathrooms. They're comfortable with hotels. They're comfortable with shuttles and trams. They're comfortable with every aspect of it. And it gets them to a place where they're happy to be. Hey, this is a new place. This is enjoyable. To see something new, whereas I'm the guy who immediately starts missing my bed, missing my dog, missing my TV, missing my fridge, missing my routine. But travel involves an alarm clock. Got to catch a flight, usually. How do you get there? Maybe an airporter? Maybe you park and fly? Or maybe the dreaded ask a friend? That's only second to moving. Asking a friend to help you move? Asking a friend for a ride to the airport? You don't want to do that. Because even if the friend is nice and they're like, sure, of course, deep down they're like, fuck you. What, are you kidding me? No. So park and fly, that's my thing. Google it up. Coupon for Fast Track Oakland. D ends up parking San Francisco, whatever you got. Park your car. Get ready for a break-in and then take that shuttle. So I've already driven. Now you're paying already. And you're going to the airport, get there two hours before, you never know how long the line's going to be. It will be long, and a lot of people will have the sniffles, and a lot of people around you will be loud. This will be the epitome of me complaining. 
throughout all of the podcasts I've done this summer, me going through the airport to simply travel, take a little trip, will be the epitome of what complaining sounds like. And I don't mean to make this such a downer, but for the few of you out there who find this to be relatable, let's talk. So you get to the airport, you immediately look at the big board of departures and arrivals, and you look for your flight, and oh boy, that moment where you see on time or delayed is a big moment. And a large percentage of the time, those flights are delayed. You know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And when they're delayed, you immediately wish you didn't schedule the entire trip. At least that's for me. I go, God, do I really need to go? Do I really need to still go? Even if it's like 40 minutes. And all that means is get a drink, go read the newspaper. You know, 40 minutes flies by, but a 40 minute delay stings my soul like a bumblebee. Actually, that's one area bumblebees do not sting. They don't get to your soul anywhere else. Or like a stingray in my chest, a 40 minute delay. If it's a three hour delay, forget about it. Goodbye. I'm going home. All right, so let's just say you're on time, right? You're feeling good. You're feeling good. You're still standing in lines. You're still shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of people. If it's Southwest, line up for A, B, or C, then the competition is on. Are you 28? Oh, okay, because I'm 27. I think I'm one in front of you. And then you get on the flight, and you're probably constipated, or you probably need to use a bathroom, but you can't because you're locked in with that seatbelt, and there's probably not enough overhead compartment space for what you brought. Or maybe you didn't bring enough to entertain yourself. You forgot your earbuds. You didn't bring a book. SkyMall. Who, who reads SkyMall anymore? You're not ordering from SkyMall. We have Amazon Prime. The in-flight magazine is worthless. It just lists a bunch of steakhouses you'll never go to. And a feature on somebody who's doing good things in the Middle East. Which is readable, but then that gets you through about 11 minutes of your flight. And you try to sleep, but you can't sleep because there's babies on the flight, including your own baby. Tend to your own baby. Too young for the iPad, so you got to just really time how often you bring out a new toy or something to eat. Or here's a book. And what? I only killed 22 more minutes? All right, so you're screwed. Let's just say... It's a nice flight, no turbulence, although there will be some turbulence. You land, then that moment of how many minutes do we have to stand here bending over while everybody elbows each other to get their suitcases out, and then we land and realize, okay, I'm disoriented. I don't like the weather here. There's a time difference. I have to become reoriented with the world. I know I'm making it sound dramatic. I know I'm making it sound way too dramatic. This is just a two-hour flight going to Denver. I have flown from San Diego to Arizona, which is literally 50 minutes, and found it to be unbearable. So I envy the people that travel with ease. I honestly do. These people who actually travel. So forget my little trips when I tell you I went to LA, San Diego, Denver, Arizona, Vegas. Forget these little trips. There are people out there that do not get too exhausted or too disoriented or too discombobulated, when they travel abroad, they just do it because they really want to see something new. And when they're there, they don't complain about anything. They just accept new accommodations, new time zone, new people. Isn't this wonderful and beautiful? These people I'm jealous of. I see them on Facebook and Instagram with their trips and beautiful vacations. And it's not so much the moment they're in. I just go, wow, you could survive all of that travel? All that airport mess, the transportation to the airport, from the airport to where you're going. My God, I admire that. 
I'll never be the guy that says, you know, I got to do Thailand this winter and I've always wanted to see Japan. So I got that scheduled for the summer. And then, of course, we'll do our family trip to Hawaii. I mean, even if I had the money to do all of this, that's the weird part. Even if I had the money to do all of that, no thanks. If I described bliss, nirvana, if I just described true happiness, couch, popcorn, fancy red wine, hard knocks on HBO on my TV, dog at my feet, child playing gleefully with toys, not cords, not chewing on cords, but playing with toys purchased for babies, wife to my left under a blanket, playing video games on her phone. This is what I envision as the perfect situation. Now, if you say, come on, don't you want to be in a gondola going down the Venice Channel in Italy? And I go, no, I can't go on boats. Plus, there's probably a long line and how much does it cost? And on and on and on and on and on. I feel like I omitted half the things I actually complain about. So you survived that rant? You're probably thinking, holy shit, this guy is a true hermit. But I'm not. I actually like to get out. If you force me out, invite me somewhere, I'll come. If it's a day trip, love it. A one night trip? Oh my God. The single night trip is the most beautiful thing. But if you're like, hey, let's go out for six days. Let's do the coast. Let's go to Central America for eight days. I guarantee I'd have enough memories to say it's special and worth it, but just the idea of doing it sounds like it would age me and exhaust me to a point where I'm just digging a grave. I'm just digging that early grave. I'm just picturing chapped lips, sunburn, eyes are stingy, sleep deprived. Holy shit. I just realized I got to change. Oh, we can all improve. All right. Here's how I'm closing it out. Summer. Hate to say it, it's officially too long for kids. Forget about the staff right now, but students in America should not be away from a classroom for that long. Shouldn't be. Not saying they got to attack the curriculum that's set in place for August to June. That's all fine. Every subject that is in place, August to June, I'm good with. It's debatable, but I'm not going to insult any other department and say, we don't need this, we don't need that. I'll say we need the sciences, we need English, we need language, we need PE, we need social studies, we need math, we need it all. We need it all. But we got to make some modern day subjects mandatory, not elective, not I hope you learn about this in college. But in the summer, students have got to pick something and for a month, go to that class, become an expert in that field. And we won't even call it summer school. Guess what we're going to call it? School. School. We're just going to call it fucking school. This current schedule is no good. I know I talked about the origins of it, but really, these kids are going to wander in and they'll need to get reacquainted with the system. School is such a beautiful thing if you think about it. I mean, the idea of free education in America, I know what, you have to pay teachers a little bit more, do it. But make school a place that's so vibrant, so fun, applies to this world we're living in right now. Make that happen redefine what the expectations are computer science that has to be a class that can't just be a major graphic design make it a class a class on mental health let's learn about this what some people are suffering from let's learn about this and i know people could say well you could fit that in here you could fit it into that subject you could fit it into social studies or science no let's just focus on these things that are going on right now budgeting budgeting 
for a capitalistic world, free enterprise. And you're saying, well, can't you teach that in econ? You can, but if it's not part of the standards, the criteria, then maybe it should be that summertime elective. Real world classes in the summer. Not to say the classes that they take from August to June are not real world, but really, keep them coming back to the classroom. Give them a month off. Give them June. Give them June, the whole month of June. And then July, they're back. And then more three-day weekends throughout the year. Have I solved it? Does it sound like I solved it a little bit? Cater to the needs of the world we're living in right now. Because a lot of the subjects that are currently taught, they are traced back to a time where they were probably more relevant to society. I still think you can retain them all. Just add some. Add some. Without the word elective. Mandatory. Make them mandatory. This is a summer session. We're not calling it summer school, though. We're just calling it school, and it's the new calendar. You like it? No. Okay. You like it? Ah, it's growing on you. A little bit. Good. Seriously, if we just expect these students to understand computers because they're on Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter, and Facebook... And go, oh, they're computer savvy. I don't know about that. Yeah, teach them how to send an email. Something like that. Sure, they're holding on to computers every single moment of the day. Have you seen teens? They're holding on to cell phones like it's their battery pack. Like it's their fuel. Even when they're engaged in something else, the phone is still either right on their thigh or in their hand. It's kind of a weird sight, but I'm starting to get more used to that. When I say teens, I guess adults as well. But teens have these phones... How about understanding computers, computer literacy a little bit more? I need a class like that. Then mental health. Mental health. For all of these kids that are too embarrassed to describe what they're feeling, whether it's anxiety, depression, or just unsure about things that they don't want to share, make it mainstream to talk about. No more stigma. No more embarrassment. Let's just have a whole class where you go, hey, here are some things you're going to deal with. Here's how the human brain is structured. Here's how we are wired. Here's how you get help. Here's how you deal with it. Here's what mindfulness is all about. Slowly, this stuff is coming into the classroom. It's a good thing, but it's too slow. Let's just make it part of the curriculum. This is what you do in the summer. Mental health, computer literacy, and oh yeah, budgeting. Learn about finances. Learn about debt. Learn about credit. Learn about it all. And then by the time you're 18, you are equipped. More equipped. Because I fully understand some students could say, I'm equipped and I will not dispute that. But let's become more equipped. Everybody my age could look back at middle school and high school and say, yeah, I kind of wish fill in the blank. I kind of wish I learned fill in the blank, fill in the blank. Let's start filling in the blanks. All right, that's it. Baby's waking up from a nap. She's probably chewing on the monitor. I got to run. That is episode 29. Now in the books. I'll talk to you soon.